I'm Dale Mason, publisher of Answers Magazine, and this is Creation Answers, a podcast of Answers in Genesis, featuring highlights from the award-winning Answers Magazine. When I tell you the topic of the next episode, don't let it discourage you. It's about the science of the decay of dead bodies. That may sound gross, but just listen. Yuck. Several disgusting things on our body elicit this response. But if you were to look a little closer, hypothetically anyway, you would find, even in the grosser things, clear reminders of God's wise providence. If you want to keep thinking of earwax as gross, then you may not want to read further. In fact, it may ruin your perception of mucus, eye gunk, and sweat as well. Just giving you fair warning. For those of you still here, we're going to take a journey, getting close to gross, to see why God designed some less-than-seemly parts of our bodies the way He did. Many aspects of our physiology, our body parts and body processes, have a bad reputation. We'd rather be rid of the embarrassments than consider how amazing they are. When we sneeze or have to blow our noses or peel off sweaty clothing, we're more interested in fixing the problems than considering what's behind the annoyance. But when we examine closely, we'll find that God definitely knew what He was doing. Even in our fallen world, gross isn't necessarily a curse. Gross can be pretty great. So, to get us started, travel with me to the sticky confines of your ear canal. The Scourge of the Ears God originally created the genetic variety for a multitude of ear types. Stickouts, low lobes, no lobes, curved at the toppers, teensy-weensies, and radar dishes. But all ears have many things in common, including what happens on the inside. Inside the dark canal lurks something that strikes fear, or at least self-consciousness, in people of all ear types. Millions of cotton swabs have ill-advisedly been destroyed in an attempt to scrape out this oral nemesis. What is this scourge? Cerumen, but you probably know it as earwax. A name change, in fact, might be good for this gooey substance's PR, but there's more to earwax than the sound of its name. Before you flush your cerumen away next time, consider the benefits. God placed special glands in your outer ear canal to constantly produce earwax, which in turn keeps your ears moisturized. Without the wax, they'd be dry, itchy, and flaky. Cerumen also helps capture and clean out the really gross stuff, the dirt and infecting germs inside your ears. A conveyor belt of skin cells then boots the wax to the outside orifice where it gets herded out along with the waste products it has collected. This amazing substance even possesses antibacterial properties to maintain that pep in your step. You can't buy that on TV. If you think your ears need help kicking the wax out, they usually don't. Every time you chew, the movement of your jaw does the work for you. Instead of reaching for the swab, which can actually cram the earwax into your ear, and could damage your hearing. Grab some gum and freshen your breath while cleaning your ears the natural way. 
mucus. It's not so bad. Move with me now from your ears to your nose, and there you'll find another biological miracle that's nothing to sneeze at. But it is something to sneeze out. Cold and allergy sufferers may sniff at this, but the chemical properties of that water based substance in your nose and respiratory system far surpass anything that humans can create. Yes, that icky stuff is amazing. Really. You see, mucus contains a mix of proteins, carbohydrates, salts, and various specialized cells that, in essence, blows away most medicines. Stuffed inside your nasal mucus, or phlegm when it's found anywhere else in your respiratory system, are proteins that do an amazing job wiping out the pathogens that try to wipe you out. Mucus membranes produce this concoction to trap dust and other potential somatic invaders, a process that happens in many places on your body. However, you probably notice most when the sticky substance corners them in your nose. Because these intruders need to be expelled, your body gets them out in three main ways blow out on tissue paper, a cough, or around 100 miles per hour, 161 kilometers per hour, during a sneeze. Unfortunately, when you're sick, much more needs to get out, and that's part of the reason that mucus can turn yellow or green. When pathogens, usually bacteria and viruses, sneak into the body, white blood cells called neutrophils slide into action and attempt to engulf the invaders while releasing a potent chemical cocktail that ultimately destroys even the neutrophils. The chemicals in this assault. Lend color to what comes out. In other words, your mucus, whether you're sick or healthy, shows that your body is fighting for you in some spectacular ways. So, now that we've cleared that up, let's shift our focus to the eyes. The eyes have it eye crud, goop, sleepers, gunk. Whatever you call it, you undoubtedly know this menace. You wake up, stretch, And then find an unwanted passenger in the corners of your eyes. Sometimes gummy, sometimes crusty, always frustrating. In fact, no matter what you do before sleeping, the gunk keeps making unwanted appearances in the morning. But there's more to this matinal muck than meets the, well, eye. During the day, you do something around 20,000 times on average, probably without thinking about it. In fact, you probably just did. Since our eyes need to be constantly moisturized and cleansed, we blink about every 5 to 10 seconds, sort of like a built in car wash for our corneas. As long as you're blinking, you probably won't get crusties. So, don't sleep and problem solved. But for the rest of us, when we sleep, the eye blink car wash stops, and dust, oil, tears, and sweat. Accumulate near the fleshy bump in the corner of our eyes, called the lacrimal caruncle. This goopy mess often dries by morning into a crusty solid. This common nuisance means your eyes stay clean while you sleep. So don't sweat it. Or maybe you should. Don't blame the sweat. Thomas Edison left behind more than his inventions. He left a well known quote. That inspires us to perspiration. 
Genius is 1% inspiration and 99% perspiration. Although he probably didn't mean to focus on the sweat itself, his words point to this much maligned bodily function. Why? Because it stinks. But be careful where you lay the blame. Your body likes to churn along at around 98.6 degrees Fahrenheit, 37 degrees Celsius. If it's too cold, your pores perk up to keep the heat in. Too hot and your sweat glands kick into action. Sweat, made from water, ammonia, urea, salts, and sugars, evaporates and takes the heat with it. For that, you should be grateful. On the downside, bacteria living on your skin and your own hormones mix with perspiration to create a malodorous concoction. Contrary to what you might expect, the problem is not the number of sweat glands in your armpits, but the fact that evaporation occurs more slowly there. A gross of goodness. We cannot say to earwax or sweat that we have no need of them, because they're quite nice to have. Some parts of our bodies may seem gross, but they should really remind us of the God who thought of everything. After all, a little stink or ickiness means keeping us healthier and cooler so that we can all experience clear evidence of our Creator's providence, even in a fallen world. That was written by John Upchurch, a regular writer for Answers Magazine. He's also a full-time pastor at a large church, so he knows the difficult struggles we face. But he sees the value of recognizing the lighter side, even in hard things. Thank you, John. Death was not part of God's original plan. The Bible describes death as the last enemy. In his popular DVD, Death the Enemy, Ken Ham answers the big question, why is there death and suffering in the world? Get it at AnswersBookstore.com. That's AnswersBookstore.com. The author of the previous article also wrote the next one, Death's Cleanup Crew. God designed an entire ecosystem that specializes in the removal of dead bodies. This article really stinks. It's putrid, rotten, foul, odiferous, and vile. If the thought of something rotting under the hot sun makes your stomach churn, move along, nothing to see here. But if you're interested in the incredible complex design that goes into breaking down animal remains, hold your nose and dig in. Stages of Life in Death Quick show of hands, how many of you have spent time watching an animal decay? Anyone? Unless you live on a farm, the closest you've come is probably a squashed squirrel or skunk. You catch a flash of innards as you drive by, and that's enough. Yuck. But all vertebrates, animals with backbones, go through a similar process when they die. In fact, by all appearances, God put in place a sophisticated system to deal with dead things. Death wasn't part of the original very good world, Genesis chapters 1 through 3. But we can be glad that after Adam's sin brought death into the world, the Creator made sure dead animals get absorbed back into the earth. Otherwise, they just pile up all over the place. That would sure take the fun out of your after-dinner strolls. Stage 1. Keeping it fresh. As soon as an animal kicks the bucket, 
things start to explode. Really? Take away the breath of life, and the body's cells can no longer maintain homeostasis, the perfect balance of temperature, pH, and other important factors. Then, boom, they begin to rupture. This fresh stage of decomposition, yes, that's really the name, lasts only one to two days, depending on temperature. The air warms or cools the body to match the outside temperature, and gravity pulls the blood downward. Toward the end of this stage, the skin can start slipping off. But something even more interesting happens deep beneath the skin. Living animals share their bodies with a rowdy crew. Billions of bacteria have set up camp in their stomachs, throats, livers, intestines, and everywhere else they can cram in. As long as the animal is alive, those bacteria stay in balance. And some even pitch in to help the animal digest food and maintain a healthy system. But after death, those same bacteria that help their hosts digest begin to digest their hosts. First up on the decay crew are oxygen-loving aerobic bacteria. Living animals breathe in oxygen, and blood cells carry it throughout their bodies. But when the blood's not pumping, oxygen becomes scarce. So those aerobic bacteria gobble up whatever they can find. When the oxygen runs out, the anaerobic, live without oxygen, bacteria, elbow up to the feast. And these guys don't mess around. Within hours, they infiltrate the liver before spreading to the heart and lungs. Scientists who can stomach this fresh process have found that the sequence of bacteria is consistent across all vertebrates. They've even given a name to the living things regularly involved in decay, the necrobiome. This isn't just a haphazard collection of life forms. It's a tightly integrated, highly sophisticated food chain that exists only in death. But this necrobiome doesn't stop with bacteria. Stage 2. Inside Out Anaerobic bacteria aren't polite eaters. As they ingest carbohydrates and fats, they release noxious gases. The gases build up and cause the body to bloat up to twice its normal size. The second stage of decomposition, which occurs two to six days post-mortem. All those bubbling gases also cause the body's liquids to froth and ooze out. Ew. Often, the buildup causes the skin to rupture. The hydrogen sulfide and methane that burst out won't win any awards in the perfume category, that's for sure. They're what cause the corpse to raise such a stink. But it's not all for naught. The ruptures allow oxygen to return and give aerobic bacteria a second chance. With them come tiny fungi with fun names like Yeroia, a type of yeast, and Lysurus, known aptly as the stinkhorn fungi because they have a wretched aroma only a fly could love. While all this frothing and oozing and spore spreading may sound gross to you, those liquids are a dinner bell for flies and other insects. Blowflies converge to lay eggs, and later the resulting maggots gobble tissue. Tiny worms called nematodes work up from the soil into the body and eat the proliferating bacteria. Interestingly, some of the bacteria release chemicals that specifically attract nematodes and insects, such as beetles and flies. In turn, those creepy crawlies help remove competing bacteria from the scene. Some of the insects also bring along new types of bacteria and fungi that help with decay. All those insects and larvae are irresistible to small critters, such as mice and other rodents. Those, in turn, attract snakes and various predators, 
which attract larger predators, which attract even larger ones. Before long, a whole food chain surrounds a single decaying animal. Those stinky gases are a sweet scent to vultures circling overhead. As they dig in, their sharp beaks speed up the process. You could say the same for coyotes or other toothy scavengers, and they sometimes even drag away chunks of tissue and bones. Stage 3. Scorched Earth With all that activity, we're gushing into the third stage of decay, purge, which can last up to 25 days. If you've ever stumbled across a rotting carcass, you may have noticed that the grass around it has turned black and withered away. Would you believe that this is actually because there's too much of a good thing for the plants? During the purge, liquefied fluids pour out that contain a great deal of nitrogen, mostly in the form of ammonia. Normally, plants love a good nitrogen-rich meal, but too much at once will cause them to die back. Not to worry, though. Come back a year later, and the soil where the animal rotted will be highly fertilized with nitrogen, carbon, and phosphorus what you'd find in most store-bought fertilizers. Plants will grow higher and fuller than before. Stage 4. Advanced Decay By this point, the animal is losing body mass very quickly. All those maggots, bacteria, and scavengers have done a good job consuming the flesh and tissue. When there's not much left for bacteria to feed on, the process finally slows down a bit, and the plants begin to grow back. In warm weather, reaching this stage, advanced decay, may take only a few days. Stage 5. High and dry After a few more days, or weeks, depending on the weather, the carcass enters the final dry stage, where there's nothing but skin, loose cartilage, and bones. But even then, the bacteria and fungi keep working. A whole alphabet full of strangely named bacteria and fungi take charge. This includes Lactobacillus which tolerate high acidity, and Acinetobacter, a particularly nasty group of bacteria that cause infections, meningitis, and pneumonia. They can take up to 50 days to complete their job. Life, Death, and a Cursed World Secular biologists admit how spectacular this tightly integrated system of decomposition is, but they have no good explanation for how it came to be. That's where God's Word, the Bible, gives the answers we need. Adam's sin didn't catch God by surprise, and he prepared the biological systems that would be needed to clean up the resulting mess. Look at it like this. The same bacteria that return animals to the dust are the very ones that live inside them. Few of us love studying dead, rotting animals. Besides the stink, the corpse brings us face to face with an uncomfortable truth. Everything dies, including us. It wasn't originally like this. Death came to earth because of Adam's disobedience to God. Romans chapter 5, verse 18, and chapter 8, verse 22. Bloated bodies, liquefied tissues, and nauseating gases now pollute God's once perfect world. It's enough to make us sick to our stomachs. But even so, we can find evidence of our Creator's wise design and love in something as macabre as the necrobiome, he provided just the right system to break down dead animals so that they would enrich the ground. The very ground Adam was told he would have to sweat to cultivate after sin. Genesis chapter 3 verse 19. In fact, God designed a rich ecosystem of life that flourishes in the middle of death. In a way, you could say that even when we're faced with death, 
we are reminded that death isn't the end of the story. God promised to defeat the sting and pain of death forever. Genesis chapter 3 verse 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verses 55 through 57. And that's just what he did. Jesus, our Creator and Savior, did not see decay after he died. Acts chapter 13 verse 35. He lived the perfect life that Adam couldn't, died in our place for our disobedience, and then came back from the dead. Because he's alive, we can now have life in him. John chapter 5 verse 21. In other words, Jesus won, and one day he will put necrobiomes out of work for good. I admit that the subject of dead animals turns my stomach, probably yours as well. But I'm glad that the Lord has a system in place to take care of us, even in a sin-cursed world. The next article looks more closely at one of the creatures that God actually uses to keep our world clean, the yellow-headed vulture. Vultures are possibly the creepiest birds on the planet. Between their scaly heads and their gruesome diet, they are often avoided and even feared. Who wouldn't fear something that eats dead animals? This narrow view makes us overlook many of the vulture's special designs, a point that I make when I teach audiences about my lesser yellow-headed vulture named Buzz. God designed Buzz and his relatives to do what they do, and they do it well. What is a vulture's job? They find and eat what I call road pizza. They basically help keep the environment livable by limiting the buildup of dead animals and the spread of disease. God carefully designed vultures, giving them the needed tools to find, digest, and keep clean after eating dead animals. Finding Road Pizza Most meat-eating animals can find their dinner because it is mobile. Movement makes finding things easier. Have you noticed that when someone walks through your peripheral vision, you are acutely aware of it? But if you've misplaced your keys, it can take hours before you find them. God gave Buzz and vultures like him two special designs to help them find their motionless dinner. Keen eyesight and an extraordinary sense of smell. Vultures have very sharp eyesight. Even when they're soaring high above the ground, they can still see everything below them. God even provided them with sunglasses to protect their eyes against the sun's harsh light. Vultures have dark lines around their eyes, which work the same way as the dark lines underneath a football player's eyes. The dark color absorbs sunlight, reducing glare. This way, vultures don't have to worry about missing a single detail. The lesser yellow-headed vultures have another advantage over most birds, a keen sense of smell. Their naris, or nose openings, look like holes in their beak. Wind from any direction funnels through the naris, which leads to the largest amount of sniffing possible. Each breeze is loaded with information, so God equipped these vultures with a very large olfactory lobe, able to handle all that information. Eating Road Pizza Once the vultures find their dinner, how can they possibly eat it? Most other animals would get sick from eating dead animals. Why don't vultures get sick all the time? God gave them a very special digestive system. The acid in their crop, which functions like our stomach, is one of the strongest in the natural world. 
strong enough to kill the harmful bacteria found in their dinner, it keeps them from getting sick from pretty much anything. In fact, vultures can use their digestive juices to defend themselves. If you were to startle a vulture while it was eating, you'd better back up quickly. Vultures can vomit on you if you're not careful. This not only makes them lighter, so they can more easily escape, but with the addition of the digestive acid, their lunch now smells much worse. After Pizza Cleanup Vultures keep the environment clean of disease. But how do they keep themselves clean? Vultures don't have feathers on their heads. This is why Buzz is known as a yellow-headed vulture. His head is covered in yellow skin. This lack of feathers helps the vulture keep clean in several ways. First, it prevents feathers from getting dirty when vultures eat. They will often get their dinner all over their heads, and skin is much easier to clean up than feathers. This is also true of their legs and feet. Since vultures don't have hands, their meal tends to get messy, but since there aren't any feathers in the way, cleanup afterwards is much easier. But how do vultures wash up? Vultures spread their wings out in the sun to warm themselves, while they pick away food particles with their beaks, called preening. With their wing feathers spread, they also let rain remove extra food particles. When they're done eating, they find a nice perch and turn their backs to the sun. The black feathers on their wings absorb and channel heat to their heads. This kills any bacteria that might have been picked up. Cleaning their legs and feet is another story. Vultures have very long tail feathers that keep their legs and feet covered, so they can't get baked clean. Instead, they can release urine down each leg. Vulture urine is very acidic, capable of killing bacteria. Now, a final question that often comes up when talking about vultures. You may have even wondered about it when you began reading this article. What did they eat before the fall? Genesis chapter 3. Before sin, there was no death, so there would be no dead animals for vultures to eat. The honest answer is that we don't know yet. God could have provided for these designs to be used only after the fall, or vultures could have adapted to their new world, or it could have been a mixture of both. But we do know that God continued to provide humans with evidence of His loving provision, even after the fall. The design of vultures may seem disgusting, but they keep our sin-cursed world clean. So the next time you see a vulture circling, just remember, if he didn't grab a slice of that road pizza, who else would? That article, Disgusting Designs, was authored by award-winning science writer Heather Bruce. She loves birds of every kind, not just the pretty ones. Everything has a place in God's plan, even those animals that dispose of carcasses. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed these articles, there are hundreds more at our website, AnswersMagazine.com. The links to today's articles are listed in our show notes, and I encourage you to subscribe to receive the magazine in your mailbox every other month. You will love that you're better able to share and defend your faith. I'm Dale Mason, publisher at Answers Magazine, and for the entire team, God bless. God bless.